Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Hokiesmash underscore ASD. I'm going to turn it over to our podcast moderator, Matthew, as we welcome our podcast guest, Christopher Lambert. So welcome to this week in the Atlantic Coast Conference. This is the longest running independent ACC podcast in the country. This is Matthew. You can follow me on Twitter at at Hokiesmash underscore ASD. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at at TalkinACCSports. And you can also follow our site Twitter account at, at AllSportsDACC. Our website is AllSportsDiscussion.com. Welcome, Chris Lambert. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you, Matthew? Very good. Very good. Tell us about yourself. The floor is yours. <laughs> well, there's not much to tell. Uh, I guess you'd want to know about how I got into this um sort of a lay journalism and it, it was actually an accident, a, a mistake or a um, serendipity, whichever way you want to view it. I had a friend, a relative who was involved in West Virginia's flirtation with the SEC and ACC all the way back to 2010. Um, he didn't like how the ACC treated West Virginia um, and he started feeding me information that he wanted to get out to sort of get some revenge. And we were we were one of the first uses of social media to astroturf <sighs> discontent among the ACC, Florida State, etc. I'm sure everybody remembers that whole fiasco. Um, part of it was true, and part of it was uh, us just trying to uh, pay back for the disrespect that we had seen ACC pay West Virginia. Okay, okay. <laughs> Blatantly honest. Right, right. How did you uh did you did you did you enjoy the rivalry rivalry games this year but with uh, Pittsburgh and Virginia? Of course we did. You know, we're, in the Big 12, West Virginia University is an outlier, a cultural outlier more so than anything. And Mountaineer fans have never really bought into the Big 12 ethos yet. We're still an Eastern team. We still hate Pitt and Virginia Tech. Um, and 99% uh, of the uh, Neil Brown's hot seat is because that fourth and six inches against Pitt. <laughs> so, you know, they, um, West Virginia belongs uh, in the Eastern football spectrum. It is. Uh, the Big 12 is a, is a great conference. But West Virginia is not in, again, is just a cultural outlier. It belongs with the rest of the Big East. I think Rutgers and West Virginia are the only Big East members not in the ACC now. And Temple, if you think about that, that's sort of odd. Yeah, I can, I can certainly agree with you. With, with, uh, certainly agree with uh, – it's an interesting take there, yes, and that uh, on those members that are not. I don't figure Rutgers is probably – they made their money choice, right? I mean, everybody right. knows they made their money choice, right, because they're getting a lot of cash from the Big Ten, and I think and I think there's quite a few schools that would probably do the same thing. if they, They're obviously getting paid for that – paid for that sort of thing. So, 
but you know, that's, I guess, but I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff, I'm going to turn this over to you. All right, Matthew, I have a quick question for you as a Virginia tech guy, you know, what, what was your feeling on, on getting to play West Virginia and that kind of traditional rivalry, just from a, a perspective of playing, uh, you know, a, a regional, a regional rival that you hadn't gotten to play that often this year. I, enjoy, in the, I the enjoyed years. it. Sure. Sure. I enjoyed it. And, you know, we had the series here at, at, of course we had the series, the game up here too. And in, uh, at, at, at Redskin, at Redskin stadium, that was fun. That was a neutral site game between the two teams. It was fun. It's something that I think should happen more often in college football. And I think there are probably opportunities for ESPN or the ACC network to market those sorts of matchups, maybe neutral site matchups for extra cash for the teams, Jeff. I think that something like that certainly could work out, but it was, it was fun. It was fun to see. It was fun to see a game like that back on the schedule again. And I think it's something that the, the tool schools should certainly consider looking at. Well, if you think about this, West Virginia and Pitt and West Virginia and Virginia tech delivered, at some point during the broadcast, a total of 5 million viewers. And that's a significant number of, of, of viewers for, for programs that are not considered to be the elite blue chips. So there's interest in the public um, among those rivalry games. And uh, there didn't seem to be any love lost. You know, the layoff, Pitt and West Virginia seem to hate each other more because of the layoff. Um, I think the Virginia Tech rivalry cooled off a little bit. And to be honest, it should have cooled off a little bit because it was getting a little dangerous near the end of the Big East. Um, I think um, ESPN would love to see those um, those rivalries reinstituted, especially, you know, West Virginia had a, a rivalry with Miami going on too near the, uh, before they left. And the West Virginia-Syracuse rivalry, Syracuse is the only team that Don Nealon ran the score up against you know, when they beat them 54 to nothing. It was on purpose. Uh, so there's a lot of bad blood, a lot of um, potential to market West Virginia as a heel in the ACC, sort of like in pro wrestling, you know, as the bad guy, uh, the you know, the country bumpkin who's opposed to the um, elitist ACC schools. And I think that manifests itself in rating and manifests itself in fan interest. I didn't know Pitt had fans again until they were playing West Virginia. Oh, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, the ratings, you know, for both games were really good. Uh, you know, the atmosphere at, at Pitt was great. College game day was there. I mean, I, I think there were a lot of positives out of those two games. Um, all right, Chris, you know, you know, as we've already started talking, that, that West Virginia has, uh, you know, a lot of regional interest in this area. Um, I think there's... Um, you know, some some idea of what's going on with Neil Brown's status. I, I mean, I would say earlier in the year, it, it was looking a little hot seat, but, you know, he, he put the big win over Baylor together recently. Um, what what are your thoughts on, on your head coach there? It, it's a complicated situation. Um, both Gordon Yee, WU's president, and um, Shane Lyons, West Virginia's uh, athletic director, love Neil Brown. He'll be given every opportunity to win uh, to save his job. At the same time, West Virginia is a program. Um, if, if you're in the industry and you know people, um, the networks and IMG, 
you know, they call West Virginia the little program that could. You know, they call it a blue chip program that nobody realizes is a blue chip program. And it's able to achieve that with limited resources. You know, they are one of the most profitable football programs, uh, you know, for the past 50 years, truly self-supporting because they have momentum and their fans punch above their weight. Uh, Neil Brown is in danger of losing the fan base, especially the apex donors, as I call them. Uh, you know, those are the really big donors at the top level who allow West Virginia to punch above their weight, you know, and you know, that includes Ken Kendrick's owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. It includes the, uh, you know, the family that owns the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, Bray Carey, one of the founders of ESPN and NASCAR. You know, the, people don't realize that West Virginia has this money behind them, and they do, and they are tired of mediocrity. Uh, you know, they brought Neil Brown in uh, because Dana Holgerson couldn't get the job done. Uh, you know, every year Shane Lyons gives the head coach uh, objectives, and Dana was told flat out in 20, uh, was 2018, uh, he had to reach the Big 12 championship game in Dallas. And he blew it. He blew that 17-point lead uh, against Oklahoma State. And he knew he was going to be let go, so he went to Houston. And before Dana, Bill Stewart, who was the epitome of a mountaineer, a great man, was 28-12 and 12 in his uh, three seasons at WVU. Three bowl wins. And Oliver Luck decided that he, the program wasn't moving forward fast enough, and they made a change. Uh, Neil Brown has a set of objectives. And he has a set of goals that he has to reach. And if he doesn't reach them, then they will, as much as they like him, they'll make a change. I, I think the standard for him this year, I believe, is seven wins because of what he inherited from Holgerson. If he doesn't hit that seven-win mark, I don't see how they don't make a change, uh, you know, based on their past and how they uh, everything I explained previously. Most importantly, because they have to go into the, uh, off-season fundraising. And there has to be some enthusiasm for um, for the upcoming season for ticket sales. You know, the, the game against Baylor, West Virginia had a little over forty five thousand people in attendance. I can't remember attendance that low in the last twenty years that involved the Power Five team. Um, and you know, attendance with the Big Twelve as a whole. My comment about the Mountaineer fans haven't really bought into the Big 12. There were 60-some thousand standing room only for Virginia Tech last season. Um, you know, they, they have a hard time getting 50 for Texas. Uh, you know, they're just – the interest of the Big 12 teams are so far away. You know, they're you – know, cultural isolation. Uh, but Neil Brown, you know, he, I think he has to hit that seven-win mark or there's going to be a change. All right, Chris. Um, let's stay with with the Big Twelve here. Uh, who do you think is going to win win the Big Twelve? Uh, we know TCU is out front, but there's a lot of season less uh, left. And and will the Big Twelve champ make the playoffs? No, the Big Twelve champ will not make the playoffs. It, it's not. Um, they're going to beat each other up. You know, the Big Twelve is, in my objective opinion, and I watch a lot of football. Uh, talk to a lot of people who know football. It's maybe top to bottom, the toughest conference in the, in the country. You can't have an off day. You know, if you don't bring your A game, you lose. Uh, 
you know, West Virginia is arguably two plays away from being five and one. You know, that's the, the there's no margin of error in the Big 12. Uh, and ultimately, it's, it's going to be Oklahoma State. They're the most consistent. I know they lost to TCU, but the ravages of the long season and, you know, the rematch in the, um, in the, in the conference championship, potentially of uh, Oklahoma State and TCU, Gundy is by far and away the the dean of the Big Twelve and the best one of the best coaches in the nation. You know, Oklahoma State's going to win it. My opinion. All right, all right, um, Matthew, let, let's take a little deep dive in the ACC this past week. Uh, yeah, as you and I go back here on these topics and uh chris to sit tight for a couple seconds we're going to go national with you in a couple minutes okay well i'm a big fan of the acc too i mean you know you gotta hate all these teams <laughs> fair enough west virginia rivalry a lot of positives going on though this year though um all right matthew what do you got here so you're talking about the most disappointing team of the acc for uh I, I, I got to go with North Carolina State, Jeff, because I think a lot of people expected Virginia Tech to lose to Miami, right? Because this is a rebuilding year for Virginia Tech. It may be a rebuilding year for a couple of years for Virginia Tech, but NC State was supposed to have a lot more going this year. And you know, I told you last week on the podcast, I told both of you and both you and both you and Wayne that crazy things can happen in Syracuse, right? That there are losses that you don't expect. Now, that's not to discount anything from Syracuse, right? Because as I, you know, I've mentioned this before, I was, I, I, I thought that Syracuse would be bowl eligible this year. I did not foresee them starting out 6-0. and And I'm disappointed that you and Sam and Tim and and our, our friend from from Duke Blog, and you guys should have told me to drive over to the MGM Casino, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> when I picked that six, you said, said, Matthew, go over and bet. Go over and bet lots of money. You know, so, but, but I mean, I'll be fair. You know, and I probably can answer the same question here that Syracuse, you know, going 6 and 0 is the most, most impressive. I mean, that if you're going on the flip side of the coin, you know, so uh, what do you have to say about that, Jeff? Yeah, on on the impressive side, I, I definitely agree with you on uh, on on Syracuse. Um, I mean, they've been pointing to this game for three weeks. Had a bye week. We're playing uh, Wagner the week before, so they basically been preparing for this game uh, f- for weeks going into it. And and Garrett Trader did not play well in the, this game, and Syracuse still found a way, you know, to 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 match you know, what they had going into that game. And, you know, now they're 6-0. and They're the surprising team in the ACC. Their Purdue win looks better and better. Purdue is, you know, just on the fringe of the top 25. I mean, this is a quality ball club. Um, you know, we're getting to them playing Clemson a little bit next week. And the clock's going to strike midnight. It's, it's just a matter of time. But, you know, for them to take advantage of an opportunity of a of an NC State team, you know, still really good defensively, but without Devin Leary, um, you know, that was impressive to to put their stamp on that game. Um, as far as like the least impressive team, um, I, I'm not going to go with NC State. You made a lot of great points, Matthew, but I think the Chambers being in that game, um, 
over Devin Leary was just too much to overcome. And I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm, I'm going to go with Duke here on this game. Um, you know, you get North Carolina at home. Um, you've, you've played above your, your, your weight class most of the season. Um, you've exceeded expectations and you had a huge opportunity on your home field. Um, you took the lead in the fourth quarter, you're down 20, 31, 21, and you take the lead late and you couldn't hold uh, North Carolina out of the, out of the end zone on that final drive. Um, you know, I, I mean, I didn't see any team that I thought was just like really disappointing that, you know, you just look at and say, my goodness, just what happened to them. But I, I think Duke missed a major opportunity um to to get into the to be a real factor in the coastal now they got two losses and and north carolina you know even with their defensive deficiencies i mean whatever anyone can say they're six and one i mean they went on the road um they've got a great quarterback in drake may arguably the best offensive player in the acc and in josh downs definitely you know the best receiver in the acc and you know they've They've had their op. They've taken their opportunities, and right now, in, in a down coastal side of the division, I mean, they're they're the front runner right now. Um, you know, Chris, Chris, on on your side, did you did you see anything watching ACC football? You know, who stood out to you this past week? Well, Dino Babbers is a great coach. I mean, he's a great offensive mind. He was on West Virginia's short list. You know, they hired Neil Brown. Uh, you know, he you give him halfway decent talent, and he's going to win. Um, Georgia Tech was impressive to me after the turnaround. Um, Clemson, you know, Florida State was a little bit disappointing to me. Um, I got a pull for North Carolina State because of Tony Gibson, you know, his defense. When you lose your starting quarterback, you know, sometimes that reverberates throughout the entire team, especially if you don't have an adequate replacement. Um Clemson's the class of the ACC, though. Again, in, in my opinion, and you know they'll they'll probably meet Pitt in the uh, championship game and uh, make the playoffs. It's my prediction. All right, all right, Matthew. Let's let's look ahead um, to next week. Let me start with you, Matthew. Which ACC sure. footballer are you looking forward to the most in Week Eight? Okay, I'm not going to say the obvious, right? I'm not going to say the Syracuse at Clemson game because everybody's going to be thinking, looking at that, right? That's a that's obviously a big matchup. I want to see if Georgia Tech can beat Virginia because I actually think they're going to beat Virginia, and all of a sudden, they're going to be above 500. They're they're going to be above 500. They're at 500 now, but they they could be above 500, and I actually think they're going to beat Virginia, Jeff, and I I think that. It poses an interesting question here because if you look at you know the rest of Georgia Tech's schedule, there are clearly some winnable games on that schedule for Georgia Tech. I mean, right? I mean, would you would you argue that there are some winnable games on that schedule for Jeff? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if if you can win on the road at Pitt in the Coastal Division, you can play with anyone else. In the coastal division, um, you know, outside of their game with Georgia, you know, based on the last two weeks, and Chris mentioned it, um, 
you know, they they've won two games in a row and they should go into each game feeling like they have a chance to beat anyone left on their schedule. Um, you know, say save Georgia. I know that's a rivalry game, but, you know, we got to be realistic about, you know, Georgia Tech playing Georgia at this point. But um, yeah, and, and, and I, that is one of the games I definitely have my eye on this week, you know, as as a as an observer and and a fan. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to, you know, what can Georgia tech do you know they kind of uh you know made it through the jeff collins debacle the firing um brent key you know has rejuvenated that team and and now the season goals are completely different than what they look like you know three weeks ago they they needed to be three and three at this point to have a realistic shot at a bowl game and and they accomplished that and now we know virginia is struggling uh tony elliott you know, kind of bristling in interviews about how good they were, the Cavaliers were on offense uh, last year. I mean, this is a winnable game for Georgia Tech. And like you said, Matthew, if if they win that game, uh, I mean, they're right there in the coastal chase. Um, of course, we also got to mention Clemson and Syracuse. Um, I think Syracuse and Dino Babers have done a fantastic job getting to this point. But I think the clock is going to strike uh, is going to strike midnight uh, this weekend at at Clemson. Uh, someone posted on Twitter, and I was kind of surprised by it. But it's seven games into his sophomore full sophomore season, second season starting. Uh, DJ Uyangalale has stats that compare very favorably with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, I'm not saying he's the quarterback. Those two were, those are generational type quarterbacks, but um, you know, Uwe Angele has been really solid, you know, most of the season and he, he doesn't quite have the weapons, you know, he doesn't have an, a really explosive game breaker on offense. I mean, he's got the physical runner uh, Shipley. Um, he's got some decent wide receivers, but you know, they're, they're not game breakers right now. And the offensive line is, is, is not dominant, but it's gotten better. But, I mean, they're able to move the ball up and down the field. What I really want to see out of Clemson this weekend is now that they've gotten f- fully healthy or as close as they've been in a long time, you know, Brzee's, uh back, Xavier Thomas is back, is I want to see this defense, you know, play to its talent level. I mean, there's probably half a dozen NFL caliber players on that defense at least. And, you know, they they look dominant at times. But then they also look like deer in headlights, and I think a lot of that has to do with the inexperience of defensive coordinator Wes Goodwin in his first year. Um, I mean, even though there was never really that much doubt in the Florida State game, especially in the second half, Florida State did make a late run, um, you know, had a chance with the onside kick. But Clemson led most of that second half by by 20 points, but Florida State was able to rush the ball. Um and I think it was for more yards per average than any team had in like five years on Clemson. I mean, we just haven't quite seen the level of dominance from the defense that we expected. And, and you know, if Clemson truly wants to, you know, be a playoff caliber team, you know, we, we got to see that defense match its talent level. And we need to see Wes Goodwin, you know, start turning the corner as a defensive coordinator. Of course, he's not, it's going to take, you know, who knows if he'll ever reach the level of a Brent Venables, but right now I would say he's, he's, he's been struggling as a defensive coordinator right now. Um, 
So I, I think Clemson's going to beat Syracuse, but I'd like to see them, you know, really put a full 60 minute game together too. Um, you know, Chris, are, are there, what ACC game are you looking forward to this upcoming week? I'm, Georgia Tech is an interesting case study to me about what happens when a coaching change in the middle of the season. Um, I have this theory you know, um, based on psychology of sports performance where a coach can infect his team with his personality or his outlook. Uh, and Georgia Tech's new coach looks like that he's completely changed their attitude and allows them to um, have optimum performance. Uh, so I'm almost a tertiary Georgia Tech fan for the rest of the season. I'm rooting for them. And, of course, I always watch every Pitt and Virginia Tech game. You know, whoever's playing Pitt and Virginia Tech are my um, second and third favorite teams. All right. Yeah, and I think, you know, with, with Georgia Tech, some of the things that have come up with, with Brent Key is that he's holding the players a, a lot more accountable um, than Jeff Collins appeared to. Uh, he's he's more of a traditional blue-collar type coach you know, where Jeff Collins may have been, you know, more of the – players type coach and I, I think that's one of the differences so far but you know like you said I mean they're playing they're playing as hard as they played the, you know at any point in the last three and a half years since Paul Johnson was there that's one thing under Collins um, it wasn't that they didn't play hard uh, I think they did play hard but they didn't play smart and you know when things started going wrong against them I mean it was an avalanche in games uh, I remember them you know early in Collins's tenure, losing, I think, 45 to zero at home to Virginia Tech. I mean, there, there were multiple games where they lost like 40, 50 to zero and, and you know, the first sign of adversity and they were done. Um, so they're going to be an interesting, really interesting team to follow as the, as the season progresses. Um, yeah. um, I had a, a very interesting conversation with a former Mountaineer who played for Rich Rodriguez about what it takes uh, for a coach to, uh, you know, to be successful and his one of his opinion was is that a coach has to hate losing losing has to make him angry and he has to set the tone that you know getting beat uh raises everybody's ire and you know makes them work harder to overcome whatever deficiency led to that defeat and he also said that with, under rich the practices were so hard that games were like a vacation um you know and you mentioned uh, him being a player's coach. A lot of times a player's coach does not push his team as hard as he needs to to get them both physically and mentally ready to compete. Because, uh, you know, we're basically talking about young adults. And, you know, what happens is if if they see and have an adverse situation um, and they don't have the proper leadership, their brain produces a chemical. Um, you know, it's the common stress uh but it basically puts them in recovery mode and makes peak performance impossible. It also inhibits uh, teamwork and coordination. Uh, and you can see it. It's what people refer to as momentum. It's actually the you know, human brain's chemical response to stress or um, um, leadership. So that's why I'm following Georgia Tech. Sorry to get off on that tangent, but it's really interesting to me. No, and, and one of the things you said kind of made me think of a comment Brent Key said a couple weeks ago, or, or, or not a couple weeks ago, but uh, the last few days. He said he he said in one of his interviews, recent interviews, I want to win more than I want to breathe. Um, so 
that's not something that we heard uh, a lot from Jeff Collins uh, when he was the coach. So, uh, it, like we said. Another thing Rodriguez, this player, I won't name him here, he said is that Rich's opinion were if it was if you were getting beat, you needed to punish the opposing player. Not that you, not that you uh, played dirty or you tried to hurt him. There needed to be a price for his success, a price that made him hes hesitate. You know, if you hit him a little bit harder, if you continued to play a little bit, uh, you know, more aggressively, if you played with abandon and weren't worried about penalties. Again, I'm not talking about playing dirty or hurting people. Is that you had to make them remember that they played you, even even though they might be better than you, they had to pay a price for their success. And I think that goes a yep. long way because it sets a tone. You know, it, it um, football is an aggressive physical sport. And a lot of times people want to make it more genteel. Uh, when, when you can't play it that way, you have to play aggressive, you know, with intent. Uh, you know, you yep. see these teams that they can't tackle or they, they get down or they, you know, they uh, miss assignments. Again, you know, you play, if you can't beat them, hurt them was the slogan. Yeah. Yep. Matthew, before I, I had a follow up for you on that last question, just a just a a story about like a personal story about myself of what Chris was saying about being aggressive. When I when I played little league football, and this is how I knew I would never be a good football player and that I needed to do something else. You know, I was gonna be doing something else and, and as a as a career. I was playing little league football and I was a tall, a tall guy, but I was really, I was skinny, but in my pads, I looked big because I, I was kind of tall. I was playing the defensive line on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of the line of scrimmage was, was another kid. And, and I could see him like shaking. I mean, he was so scared because I looked so big <clears throat> that I was just going to like just destroy him. So they hiked the ball and a real football player, you know, a one who who had any chance of being a really good football player one day would would have just you know they wouldn't have hurt the kid obviously or hurt anybody but they would have just ran him over and sacked the quarterback, and the ball was hiked, and I just looked at him like man I I can't do this he's so scared, and uh, right then I knew I was like I'll never be a football player and I'm coming off the field my coach is like yelling at me for not running and <laughs> just just a personal story it's like if you, if you're not aggressive out there just just forget about it you'll never be a football player and that was the moment you know it wasn't one of those moments where like man I'm scared to get hit or you know I'm scared of this on the football field it was like yeah I should have just ran that kid over and I didn't and I'm never going to be a football player <laughs> yeah and I think that we forget that these are again kids we're dealing with I know they're a little bit older now, but, you know, they're still young and impressionable. And the head coach really does set the tone. How he reacts is uh, what he calls for in practice is, uh, is is key to their attitude. And of course, he recruits them so he knows what characteristics he's looking for. So. Yep, yep, yep. Very good there, Chris. Um, Matthew, do you have a, you have a follow-up here you want to Yeah, no, no. This is more of a just a follow-up question for you, Jeff. I mean – and I'm publicizing the site a little bit here this week. I mean, Matt Semick wrote an article about Brent, about your coach, about Brent. And, you know, I'm wondering, like, let's say that he gets to 500. Let's say that he gets Georgia Tech to a bowl game. 
would you consider him as your head as a head coach hire, Jeff? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if if he gets Georgia Tech to a bowl game, I mean, I, I think you have to seriously consider him for the head coach and position. I mean, uh, what more could you have than someone actually doing the job, rejuvenating the t- re- rejuvenating the the team? Um, you know, after after Collins and getting to a bowl, which was unlikely even the best of circumstances going into the season. So, I mean, I'm not sure if there's a number out there, you know, that he needs to to get to to be considered. But definitely, if he makes a bowl game, uh, he, he's going to be on the very, very short list. Fair enough. Fair enough, man. Jeff, you're up with the next question. All right. Um, Matt, uh, Chris, Chris, and, and Matthew just jump in here as well. What, what national games are you looking forward to in uh, week eight or week nine I here? Really, haven't really thought about it yet. You know, it, this past weekend was such a – was it, Alabama losing to Tennessee. It was – that was a heck of a game, a heck of a Big 12 game. Um, haven't looked at the schedule yet, so I really can't tell you for sure. I, you know, I, the teams I always follow are Alabama, Texas A&M, you know, West Virginia, um, Virginia Tech, and Pitt. I'm always interested in their games. Um, there's all West Virginia connections to all those teams, by the way. Um, the, the, big fan of the SEC. Not a, that big of a fan of the Big Ten. And um, barely recognize the Pac-12. So I'm a, primarily focused on... Uh, SEC, ACC, and Big 12. Yeah, so let's, let's take a look at the the, the schedule here. Uh, can I um, let me give you let me give you let me give you a couple Jeff that I I have circled and yep. It, uh, I think it will be interesting for me to see. I'm actually you know it's rare that I would say this, but I'm looking forward to a Pac-12 matchup this week because UCLA. Is six and zero, and it's been a long time since UCLA has been six and zero. I mean, a long time. Yes. And they're going and they're going on the road to Oregon, and I'll be interested if they can handle that environment in Eugene. That's that's really the first one that I'm looking looking at. I mean, you know, that's you know, if we're looking outside the ACC, I mean, you know, clearly that that matchup between Syracuse and Clemson is one of the primetime matchups of the week. I mean, it's, it absolutely, it, you know, absolutely is. I mean, it's in that, when I say primetime, of course, I'm talking, I'm talking about, you know, national audience at noon, at noon, right. I mean, that is the second best time slot in the country, right. It's noon, but you know, that UCLA and Oregon is going to be a fun game to watch. And I'll be interested to see, you know, if Alabama, you know, loses, I hate to say this, right? I'm going to use one of your terms, Jeff, but loses twice to Tennessee when they play Mississippi State. So anyway, the floor is your. Yeah, I definitely got my eye on on UCLA and Oregon as well. With USC going down this past weekend to uh, Utah, um, you know, it's it's UCLA or or bust in the Pac-12. I know there's been a couple people that have said, oh, if, if, if Oregon, for example, runs the table, you know, could they get back in the playoff chase or USC? And I, I don't think with the way that things are starting to lay out, that's going to be very uh, likely. Uh, 
at all, to be honest. Uh, there's that scenario we talked about on last week's podcast where if Tennessee beats Alabama, which they did, uh, then loses to Georgia, Alabama wins the SEC with one loss, and Georgia you know, goes 12-1, and one, um, you know, right there, even though I don't personally think you should have three SEC teams in the, the playoff under, you know, virtually any circumstance, they're going to bump a one-loss Pac-12 champion out. So, you know, if UCLA loses this weekend to Oregon, um, you know, put the nail in the coffin for for the Pac-12 to have any chance at a, at a playoff spot. Um, another big game, you know, right there in your neck of the woods, uh, Chris, you know, Kansas State at TCU, you know, that game – you know, in, in Fort Worth, can T- TCU keep it going? I mean, as long as they keep winning, um, you know, they're going to be in the discussion. Like you said, I'm not sure if they can, you know, get through the I schedule bet. undefeated. But, um, you yeah. know, as long as they keep winning, and that, this is going to be a tough game, resume builder with Kansas State, um, that's, a, that's a big game on Saturday night as well. I don't think Kansas State is as good as people think they are. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that game will be particularly close. But I, I've got a question for two of you about the playoffs. What are the chances do you think that there's not two SEC teams, Clemson and, and Ohio State, in the playoffs? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that w- that we are, you know, headed towards two SEC teams uh, getting in without some of the us uh, without an upset. I mean, Georgia is well liked by the polls. Uh, they they've got that win over. Over Oregon, um, you know, it's it's going to take a regular season loss along the way for Georgia, which which is, seems pretty unlikely at this point. They do get Tennessee, but they get that game in Athens, um, and we know the polls love Alabama, no matter what. I mean, they're a team that's two plays from being four and three, and it's probably ranked four or five spots higher than where they really should be. Uh, they only fell to six when they should probably be 10 or 11, if we're being honest. If they didn't have, you know, Crimson Tide and the A on their, you know, on their uniforms and Nick Saban coaching them, you know, they, they'd be ranked 11 right now and not and not six. So I, I think the likelihood that we see two SEC teams is, is probably pretty good right now. And, you know, you've got the winner of Ohio State, uh, Michigan. Um, you looked up and down those schedules at Ohio State and Michigan play, and you know they they basically don't play anyone at all for the entire duration of the schedule till they face each other. I know Michigan played Penn State, um, looked pretty good about that. That was probably the only team they'll they'll play with a pulse until the end of the season. You know Ohio State's best win is a struggle victory against a bad Notre Dame team, but you know the winner of that game is going to get into the playoffs. So, you know, that, that fourth spot, it's, it's there for Clemson's taking um, if they run the table. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, should Clemson get upset? There's not a lot of – they had plenty on the front end of their schedule to build a resume. I mean, they already have two top 15 wins. Um, Syracuse would be a third. But after, after the Syracuse game, there's not a lot left on the schedule. It was front-loaded. Um, the game, there's a game at Notre Dame, but, you know, it, same with Ohio State and Notre Dame. Notre Dame is just not very good. Um, you know, they lost to Marshall. They lost to a horrible Stanford team this weekend. So Clemson's not going to get a lot of resume points uh, there either. You know, their best chance, if they were to lose a game, is to hope 
North Carolina keeps on winning and, you know, they, they face like a 10 and two, 11 and one North Carolina team. I think Clemson needs to keep winning out too. Um, the, the scenario I see is two SEC teams, the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson. I agree. Well, let me ask you a, a follow-up question to that, and I've got a reason for asking this. Will you watch the USC-Oregon game or, or the UCLA-Oregon game? Actually watch it. Uh, um, let me see. What time? It's at 3.30? Yeah, I would. I would. I will watch that. I will watch that I will game. too. Really? Um, I, I tend to, to overlook Pac-12 games. Uh, you know, the playoff committee is divided in the subgroups. They're supposed to focus on the separate conferences. But the fact is the SEC, the ACC, and the Big Ten have um, a preferential bias based on their reputation. That is hard to overcome, especially for a conference like the Pac-12, who uh, is rarely in the consciousness of uh you know, more than 75% of the TV or the football viewing audience because of their kickoff times. Uh, you know, until the playoffs expand, it's almost a foregone conclusion in my book that it's going to be two SEC, Clemson, and uh, you know, either Ohio State or Michigan. That yeah, bias I mean, cannot be overcome. I, I mean, I kind of consider, I mean, obviously I watch the ACC more than any other conference, but you know, I, I, I'm the kind of football fan that I, I will go find. I, I went and found the, the USC Oregon State game um, a couple weeks ago on a Pac-12 network just, just to watch that. I, I just like to watch good games. doesn't matter what conference they're, they're from. And, and that's part of the reason why I personally don't watch a lot of SEC football games because they're usually – you know, just Alabama winning. I, I would honestly say this: the Tennessee Alabama game this week, this past weekend, was the first SEC game prior to the game that I said I want to watch this from beginning to end since 2019 when LSU and uh, Alabama played. I mean, I'll watch games when I know there's an upset possibly going to happen. Like, okay, Texas A&M's leading Alabama. Okay, let me watch what's happening. But um, you know, as far as saying, I want to watch this game from start to finish, um, it, it doesn't really happen for me that often for SEC games because they're, they're usually blowouts by Alabama or Georgia. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I like to think of myself as I just want to watch the best game that's on television and then the the conference of the games that affect the teams I root for the most. I was kind of being interested. Yeah, I wish you were on the committee. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just wish you was on the committee. Uh, I mean, for me, I mean, for me too. <laughs> interested to see Chip Chip Kelly's remake of UCLA football because he's been has had a couple of lane years to start out with, but I figured he would eventually turn that program turn that program around into the type of you know type of speed that he wanted on the field. And having him go up to Eugene, I think, is just a, a big test for a big test for that program. So I, I will watch that game. I will watch that game. But like Jeff, I mean, I have these things. I, I have the teams I watch too. So I, th I think we all do. You know, we all have a regional bias or some type of bias built in. Yeah, I mean, that's that's inevitable because you know it's, it's always going to leak into the teams that. Uh, you know, from the teams that you root for, uh, you know, my only issue whenever that happens is that you, you got to use the same 
criteria, you know, when you when you frame your bias as you do with the other conferences uh, or or however you evaluate teams, it's, it's just got to be consistent. If it's consistent, it'll it'll work out in the end. And and too often it's just based on you know perception of a name on a jersey or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I feel well, yeah, like but, hey, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, again, you know, I watch a lot of football. I watch it a little bit differently than everybody else. Uh, you know, I, you look at the, for instance, the SEC, their players are bigger and faster. You know, the, their linemen are enormous and incredibly fast. Uh, you know, speed is, kills. Um, yeah, so I, I look at that, you know, how fast the linemen are, both offensive and defensive linemen. Uh, but you do have these biases. I I really enjoy watching uh, Pitt and Virginia Tech games if they're losing. Um, it, it is my second favorite pastime, and it's just amazing how much enjoyment I get out of that after all these years. <laughs> as, as you should. I mean, um, it, it warms my heart to see the Georgia Bulldogs lose a game to anybody, but, you know, at the same time I can say, Hey, I I can respect that you know team and their talent level, but doesn't mean I want them to you know ever beat anyone. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I I'd prefer Pitt to go zero and twelve unless they're playing West Virginia. Then I want him to be undefeated up until that point. And the same thing for Virginia Tech. I want the loss to hurt all the more. All right, all right, as you should. Uh, all Definitely. right, Chris, we're we're starting to close into the end of our podcast and. Um, one of the questions we have for you as a West Virginia guy, wh what do you think West Virginia's future, um, you know, in this realignment era is in the next X, next 10 years, five years? Well, um, you and I have had a lot of off the book discussions. So you know that I've done a lot of work into this and I can't really tell anything. West Virginia's official stance is, and Shane Lyons has put out a, you know, it did an interview where he said the ACC has no interest in West Virginia University. Has no interest at all. I know people at ESPN and at IMG, and I'm talking about high-level people who deny that. They tell me that if ESPN, ESPN would like to see WVU in the ACC, you know, they realize they're going to have to add money to the ACC's contract to keep them happy, even though they're locked in until 20. 36 and they want certain things in exchange for that and one of the things they want is extra conference games and that gives them uh you know the ability to recoup some of their losses because it's going to be goodwill money that they add they also want better tv matchups that was a problem for the acc acc network and espn and it was one of the reasons why acc participated in the alliance and then they found out that um it wouldn't be any extra money because the uh, you know, ESPN already owned you know the rights to those games. The Lions games would either be home or away, and wouldn't add any money to the pot. And that's been documented, not just by me. You know, the Athletic has done it. Uh, I think it comes down to this: the Big Twelve grant of rights expires in twenty twenty five, but they have a ninety nine year clause in their bylaws that say that uh, in 2012, everybody agreed to stay in the conference until for 99 years. And if they left the conference, 
before that term was up, they would owe liquidated damages equal to the damage and reputation to the conference. And that's almost, how, how do you quantify that monetarily? But it's over $100 million. Uh, so here's the here's the end all and be all. Um, if West Virginia can get out of the exit fee, they would owe the Big Twelve. I think the ACC would add them based on what ESPN wants. I don't think the ACC wants West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is a revenue neutral addition. Uh, I know from uh, ESPN that West Virginia's value is around, you know, between 30 and $38 million a year. Um, the fair market TV rights, which is uh, a little bit more than average for the ACC, would place them like sixth in the conference, but wouldn't add enough money to increase the annual average payout for each ACC member. And a matter of fact, because uh, West Virginia and Pitt are in the same uh, Nielsen DMA, it would reduce the sh uh, annual share for the ACC network. So it all comes down to how much is ESPN willing to pay in goodwill money, and can West Virginia get out of the Big 12 exit fee, or at least get a reasonable uh, buyout. Um, that happens if the Big 12 raids the Pac-12, which seems unlikely. Uh, but, you know, the ACC has a decision coming up on West Virginia. Uh, Big 12 is negotiating with ESPN and Fox now for a new television deal. And, uh, you know, West Virginia, they may lose the opportunity to add West Virginia if West Virginia is required to sign a Big 12 grant of rights and extension. So if it doesn't happen by 2025, 2026, it's not happening. Now, West Virginia... We have a love-hate relationship with the ACC. Um, you know, they were almost added in 2010 when um, Pitt and West Virginia went to the ACC. Um, and West Virginia was blackballed instead of Pitt. And West Virginia was Pitt and Syracuse. And that created some really bad blood between uh, West Virginia and the ACC. Um, so I, it could happen. If it doesn't happen by 2026, it's not going to happen. It's probably what's best for West Virginia. Here's my fear. The Mountaineer program has been mediocre since joining the Big 12, and there's a reason for that because we're regional outliers. Every team that's joined another conference as a regional outlier has uh, suffered National relevancy depends on West Virginia being in the ACC, in my opinion. Uh, I fear for the state of the program. I fear for the future of the program if it doesn't. And that's not saying the Big 12 Conference isn't great because I love it. I just West Virginia were closer. Wish West Virginia were closer. Um, it all comes down to money. And for some reason, there are still members of the ACC who believe... West Virginia isn't good enough. Now, why they think that, you know, certainly athletics, you immediately make the football, you know, the conference a better in football. West Virginia immediately um, 
He was fifth or sixth in the ACC in value, but almost in a dead heat with Virginia Tech. West Virginia is the most valuable commodity in the Big in the new Big Twelve. If you look at um, historically and statistically, you know through the last since they've joined the conference in twenty twelve, they have the highest Q rating in the new Big Twelve. They have a higher Q rating. I think they'd be third or fourth in the ACC in terms of Q rating. The brand is well known. Navigate Research ranks West Virginia like seventh or eighth in terms of um, the ability to monetize the fans, brand equity. So they should be. You can argue that they. How can they not increase the value of the ACC? But again, it's. They, how much is how much more West Virginia University is not going to make Florida State happy to stay in the ACC. They're not going to take them from 35 to 45, you know, from 50 million to 85, 90 million, like the SEC and Big 12 or a Big 10. That's not going to happen. Nobody can do that. But do they make them more secure and more profitable? I think so. And again, West Virginia says ACC has no interest. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, very interesting comments, Chris. Like we just have to, you know, observe what goes on over here in the next few years. And one, one thing that I definitely, you know, whatever happens with, with West Virginia and realignment or whatever in the future, um, I think the matchups that, uh, with with Pitt and Virginia Tech were a lot of fun this year. I think Pitt West Virginia was one of my favorite games to watch this year, and um, you know definitely want to see you know more of those regional rivalry games. You know not just from Virginia but across West Virginia and the ACC, their ACC. You know traditional rivals, but across the board is something I'd like to see more of. Um, all right, Chris, we're at. Oh, the close can I add our- one more thing real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, I've done a lot of research on valuation and, and TV contracts. And the only way that the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12 can get anywhere near the Big, 12, Big 10 and SEC is that they consolidate TV rights. And they get the cake and they get to eat it too. You know, the ACC gets those matchups with West Virginia that they want so badly or ESPN wants so badly. They get the Kansas, Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, Kansas, you know, the ACC Big 12 basketball matchups, they get everything they want and they won't consider it because of egos. And that's the only way those three conferences survive is if they consolidate TV rights. You can't dispute that. It's simple math. There were no way they can get their TV rights in the neighborhood of the Big 10 and SEC without it. And they're foolish for not doing it. In 10 years from now, we will be looking back on this moment and we will understand how foolish they were for not taking that action. Yeah. Let's hope they're not leaving any rock unturned. Um, all right, Chris, on this last segment, this is what we call our open mic segment. Um, you can take this uh, anywhere um, you want in a, in a couple uh, you know, moments. You want to talk more about West Virginia football. Um, you want to, talk about the playoffs, anything. Um, we'll let you go for, for what you want to talk about here in this open mic segment, and then we'll get Matthew's open mic and, and my open mic. 
I just want to explain a little bit more about how I became involved in the SEC, uh, ACC in Florida State and Clemson back in, you know, 2012. And um, it really was, it started out as a, as a, as an agent provocateur to try to create discontent in the ACC members. Um, if you remember, I did I take partial responsibility for the ACC raising its exit fee twice. In, you know, Maryland, uh, Maryland, West Virginia, and Florida State were close, and they talked a, a great deal. And you know, Florida State was the ACC <laughs> deceived Florida State. Um, you, know, they were told that they would more money would be added to the contract for Pitt and Syracuse. And if you look at the Maryland documents, you actually saw that uh, the annual member share went down, and that's why uh, Florida State flirted with the Big Twelve. It ended when ESPN told the Big 12 they, would, they wouldn't they would add any money uh, to the, the contract for adding FSU. Or some people believe FSU was just trying to play the ACC for more money, which happened. They received a disbursement from um, well, ACC's reserve. You know, it, it was my friend, my relative and I, our discontent or our hate for the ACC that caused us to continue uh, as a social media experiment to see how much discord and discontent we could sow. And it scared me to the bone. Uh, if you become a trusted source and you share information, uh, then you become, you know, that's how you become a trusted source. You share credible information that's proved to be true. And then other people come to you and you can lead them to believe whatever you want them to believe. And it, again, it chilled me to the bone. Don't believe anything any insider tells you. First of all, um, sources always have agendas. If their information is legitimate, they're telling you that for a reason. And they're only sharing one part of that information for you. These things, uh, expansion, realignment, they take place by, at the highest levels, usually between the president and a, a network executive and a conference commissioner and the executive committee of the conference of the conference they're aiming to go to. Nobody knows anything until the presser. That's what I would warn people. Uh, you know, you know the ACC grant of rights is inviolate. Nobody can get out of a grant of rights. It's a staple of contract law. Sorry, any rumors to the contrary, no matter where it comes from, war chant or anybody, they're not going to be able to get out of that grant of rights. They're locked in. And... Um, um, so I just warn people, as much as you want things to happen, they're not going to happen because you want them to. The information that you hear, you want to believe it, doesn't mean it's credible. Be skeptical. Ask why not. Ask people to explain the economics of it. If they can't tell you how the conference makes money, the schools make money, and the networks make money, it can't be true. And I, I regret to this day going down that road. And I apologize to the ACC. All right, all right, Chris. Very <laughs> interesting comments there at the end. All right, Matthew, what do you have for your open mic? Oh, so on another topic, uh, guys, it was ACC uh, Operation ACC Basketball this week. And... It's going to be interesting watching the ACC this year. The ACC men's basketball is, is, I think, is in a much better place than it was last year. 
there are definitely two title contenders if you look at the top 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 part of the ACC and I think that there's a very good chance that Virginia Tech will make three uh, NCAA tournaments in a row and I don't and I don't and that hasn't happened for quite some time there are some interesting stories too that are coming up uh, Jim Beheim had a really funny comment this week where he says like yeah, I'll be happy if I finish sixth in the ACC and and make the Sweet 16 because the Big Ten sucks. I thought that was pretty funny that the old Wiley coach said that out in public. He's still he's still got it going, and he and he can say it and get away with it. But there are some other interesting stories too that are coming up, and I know you'll you may have a word about Brad Brownell, Jeff, because he's entering he's entering the season and I kind of feel like this is, I kind of feel like he really has is on the hot seat this year. Plus having a new AD there, he's got well, he's made what three NCAA tournaments in 12 seasons with Clemson and probably has one really good player that he can depend on in PJ hall and not too much after that. And I feel like Brad Brownell probably Brad Brownell. And I would say Kevin Keats probably have the two hottest seats in the ACC, but with that change in the AD at Clemson, I think that probably makes Brad Brown LC a little bit hotter, Jeff. But I, I know you may have a word or two to say about ACC men's basketball. Yeah, I think um, I do think Brownell is a little—he's a little bit on the hot seat. He's going to need a fast start this year, and I think Keats is the other coach on the hot seat, as you mentioned, Matthew. Um, I think the best thing that ever happened to Josh Pastner at Georgia Tech was the the disaster of Jeff Collins. I think he's going to fly under the radar no matter what he does this year. Um, so I think Keats and Brennell are the are the top two guys. And my last comment on on my open mic is a couple of the comments out of the ACC uh, basketball uh, media days were some comments about possible expansion to the NCAA tournament. And I mean, I could talk about this for a half hour, but please don't mess with something that works. Uh, the, the NCAA basketball tournament is the single most uh, successful, exciting postseason event um, that we have of, of, of any sport. Nothing comes close. I mean, I've, I've, I've been to Final Fours. I've been to regional finals, NCAA tournaments. I mean, it's unbelievable. Don't mess with it, trying to expand it. I mean, if, if I were to make one rule um, with the NCAA tournament, it would be for all the um, uh, play-in games that you have in Dayton to be your last uh, eight at-large teams. That would be the only thing I would do. Um, but I, I would not start expanding the field to like 72, 96 um, because the, the NCAA tournament, one thing with college basketball, it already struggles with with trying to keep the regular season relevant. And if you expand it even further, um, at least now when you have big non-conference matchups, okay, it's still with the eye on the tournament. But if you open it up to like 96 games, they'll even, you know, they'll even, you know, reduce the relevance further. So, um, yeah, don't expand the tournament. I'm not in favor of that. And with that said that is the close of our podcast uh chris uh thank you for your time have a great week matthew have a great week as well thank you so much jeff thank you thanks guys bye